0: Welcome. Thank you, welcome, how are you, doing alright, and where are the ladies, the ladies are in Georgia, oh, uh, too. Uh, Nat's, uh, Nat's family in Georgia, uh, her dad is not doing so well, please come sit, so Thank Rebel you. Harmony and, and Nat are in Georgia, they're coming back tomorrow, i picked pick them up at the airport tomorrow. He's a very friendly man.
1: We have uh, grandchildren...
0: How old are the grandchildren?
1: Oh, they come in, in various uh, versions. So, milk, so
0: you... milk and sugar or no? Uh, no, no. Good, good. Okay. <laughs> so we're recording. Oh, we are? Yeah. Um, I wanted to get the whole atmosphere of the... I'm making the coffee and and then JoJo going berserk when you enter. So um, I don't want you to feel self-conscious about this. The point of these talks is to just fly on the wall of a conversation among two people, hopefully connecting and hopefully being honest. So not always easy to, be, to create that atmosphere of fly on the wall. Um, usually I'm doing it over Zoom. And sometimes I'm doing it with close friends I've known a long time, and other times I'm doing it with people I've never met. But I love this process of sort of documenting conversation about being human and about connecting. And I've had conversations with you on the street. You're a neighbor, you're just five, six houses down the street, Um, and I've had interesting conversations with you, and I thought this would be fun. This would be fun to record one. So I, I appreciate you walking up the street. <laughs> well, it was a major commute, you know. <laughs> no rain today, which is rare. Which is uh, this week, uh,
1: but uh, you know, t- when when you are seventy years old,
0: or I'm actually seventy two. Seventy two. Um, Younger than my parents. Okay. <laughs> you look healthy, healthy. this is good you don't look look like you're uh, near the end 72 you look like you're uh, (laughs) enjoying your life and still with it mentally 72 well I I took some uh,
1: references from something called positive psychology which uh, uh, explains the possibility of choosing happiness and well-being as a as a okay endeavor as a, you know, justifiable endeavor. I mean, okay, misery is a common hobby which I did enough but wanting to be happy is a license that I acquired in my years and there is a, a methodology for it and I think I got it and uh At this point, it sort of works for me, and I'm good with that. So uh, if you see, I don't know if you see my biological age, but maybe you see a certain vitality or something that uh, uh, I came to later. I was a sad Jew.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Past tense, I was a sad Jew. And now you're a happy... Now you're a happy well, person, Buddhist? Person.
1: Oh, I'm not the same Happy Buddhist. human. No,
0: no, I... Happy human. No longer a Jew. The, the thing... Now, overcame the Jew? No, that sounds horrible. No, I don't mean that. <laughs> happy, sad Jew. I'm trying to create the parallel.
1: There is a beautiful story, a beautiful Zen story about... The, the gist of it is that we pick up skills along the way Some people are so excited about the skills that they pick up along the way that they grab onto it and they retain it. Mm -hmm. However, the tools are just like for for a goal. Uh, The story is about a a barge crossing a river, and and people from one side uh, see happy people across the river and they want to get there. Mm -hmm. And there are stages in which there are um, like practices and stuff that they learn uh, how to achieve peace of mind and so forth. And it so happens that uh, many people, when they once they go on the barge, they want to stay on the barge. It's like joining an ashram or all the. They say, "Oh, I found it. This is where I want to be." Mm. Some people get to the other bank, but they are so attached to the tools they brought up there, they drag the barge on with them.
0: Yeah.
1: Which means they are still carrying an awful burden. Yes. But I think the best thing is once you learn what brought you here, you are free to move on and forget about it.
0: Yeah.
1: So... Maybe Judaism was one stepping stone that that helped me along the way, but at this point, I'm not attached
0: to the practice for example, did you do you like candles at Hanukkah or is that a practice that's a part of your present uh, no, pre- no
1: presently i uh, I only participate in in family events mm-hmm. uh, and and on rare occasion, yeah, may, maybe once every several years, I will make a point to say that each of us is a little candle, uh, but altogether we can generate a big light, or uh-huh. something like that. Or the fact that uh, uh, the transition from slavery to to freedom is not a historical story; it's a personal, you know. It's, I I make a little you rabbinical. Interpretation sure uh, uh, but it is universal,
0: yes, yeah, the best parts of most religions are universal, I would say, okay I, the best I, parts
1: I don't know the best parts of of, of religions, I just
0: uh, I guess what I mean is up the crumbs here yeah, I, I don't know i'm I'm no historical scholar of religion, but I would say most religion comes out of general universal kindness. And general universal kindness comes naturally to humans so it came to various religions in various ways that are simple and universal that's what I would say in a very that's a very general
1: this is a a very loving and positive approach I just heard there's lots of problems with religion uh, Nietzsche uh, Nietzsche Nietzsche, Mm -hmm. who explained that actually religion was invented by slaves Mm. to make sense of their suffering in this world by having
0: a promise for another if if life is completely full of suffering and brutality it helps to have a, a goal at the end that you get if you're good yeah That's the only
1: problem with it you have to die first you just have to (laughs) die first
0: that's the only problem yeah no I have a lot of problems with organized religion in general but I do think the seeds of religion are different than the practice and I think the seeds of most basically spirituality is, is believing in something more than yourself and I think the best parts of almost every religion that I have stumbled upon acknowledge that that to be to go beyond the self is the goal if you stay within the self it's easy to find suffering it's easy to find pain it's easy to find misery as you were saying or to be sad because you're staying within the bounds of what you can can try and control and what you can uh, gain and what you and you're measuring you're comparing you're judging yourself you're judging others it's easy if you stay within the self to be materialistic. Uh, it's easy to be egomaniacal. It's, it's harder if you acknowledge something bigger than yourself. Even Even the fact that it's not raining today is acknowledging something bigger than yourself. You could be religious for the weather. You could be a, a weather <laughs> maniac who is focused on the weather. But if you're not trying to control the weather and accepting you have no control over the weather, that's bigger than yourself, right?
1: Well, I think that uh, uh, we are part of a greater reality. All the way from the atomic level through the molecular level, through you know, we breathe oxygen, we we use nutrients, and it's not we don't have to intellectually choose to be a part of of the universe. Mm-hmm. We are one of the expressions of the universe. It's not. It's not by choice. It's. It's a fact. It's not even. A, a, it's not an idea. Right. It is an absolute reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are that,
0: molecules. We are atoms. We are carbon.
1: Yeah, we, we participate. We we ta- our nutrition, our our metabolism depends on being part of a greater environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, without gravity and sunlight, uh, uh, we are not a possibility. We are only a possibility because the universe is the way it is. Right. So it's not it's not like oh I want to be something of bigger than myself.
0: Um, not want to be, not, uh, uh, but but acknowledge there is more.
1: Well, okay. So in the physics of the, or in the material reality of the world, of course there is more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I had a struggle with my given identity. Mm. Uh, in, in other words, I was not supposed. You know, belonging to the universe was not so relevant. I was supposed to be a part of a national identity of religious heritage of uh, customs and language and everything that flows from the past Mm. and uh, it was supposed to it was by education it was implanted in me as this is who I am Mm. and in a way this is what I believe Mm -hmm. this is how I'm supposed to behave and understand myself and this is my purpose.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: with this I had a problem.
0: Yeah, can I ask you a little bit about the biographical details? So where and when did you grow up? And and do you, what do you know about your parents and how they got to you? Okay. So maybe starting with your parents' childhood, that you, what you know of.
1: My, my, my father was born in, not far from Ukraine, in Pinsk, which is eastern Poland or well it is a region Belarus it Uh is a region that uh, was taken by different governments and different military offenses uh, right and left so it doesn't have a national identity so much but meanwhile they were Jewish so so they had their own identity yeah uh, but uh, as far as uh, where is, as far as the history of Eastern Europe uh, all I can say it was cold and it was uh, superstitious and one of the reasons to the superstitions was that the pogroms and unpredictable behavior of your neighbors. Mm. They were servants one year and then they were kicking you out of your house the next. Mm. So, so uh, there was a belief system, a, a very strong, actually enthusiastic uh, spiritualism. Because that was the only, you know, you sit at home, it's very cold, you drink tea, and you speculate yeah. about better times. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you complain a lot about <laughs> what's going on.
0: <laughs> what, year did, what year was he born, your dad? I
1: think, th- uh, at that time, documentation was vague, but uh, uh, I think... Uh, Either before or in the middle of the First World War, 14 or 19, between 14, 14 and 17. Yeah, yeah. yeah, something like that. You were born in 1951. You see, I'm actually younger than what you think. Oh. 1951. I was 1951. born. 1951, okay. I was born two years after the State of Israel proclaimed independence.
0: Okay. And your mother was also from Poland or no? My mother was from
1: Western. Poland uh, in a region that was Germanic so she learned you know fancy handwriting like curs penmanship and and she had uh, all the hopes of uh, the progressive ideas of, of Germany mm. uh, and the art and music and all and for her what happened in the late 30s was the the deepest crisis possible Mm -hmm. and it was so for many but for her she was a hopeful Did they escape the Nazis? I think that in 38 they were allowed a few trains from Western Poland were allowed to travel through Germany As long as they don't exit the train. Wow! So they had to stay on the train
0: over to uh, over, over to, to
1: Trieste, and uh-huh. that's when they took uh, where they
0: took uh, a boat to Palestine. And it's so, right, quite a story. Slovenia, Trieste, Pardon? Trieste, Slo- Slovenia. No, no, Trieste is, is Italy. Trieste it, it is, is the northern tip of Italy. It is a it is a okay. a little
1: port. Yeah, not
0: yeah. Slovenia, but it's right on that Mediterranean edge, near where where the Mediterranean gets choppy with the different countries up at the top. Um, yeah, I think. Anyway. Well, well, it, it <laughs> was
1: it was the coastal town yeah. that that could that from where they took a a, a ship to Palestine.
0: Wow. To Jaffa, perhaps. Wow. I'm I'm not sure. And, okay, so. What terrifying train journey that must have been going through Germany well, it, it's during uh, the Holocaust
1: well m- my mom ended up being a, a, a very hysterical and, and teary person, mm. she would cry a lot mm. she would hear Mozart and fall, and fall to tears oh. immediately uh, because of the context of high culture and brutality the, the way it happened mm. Uh, but uh, there is another effect of traveling through Germany, is that for the rest of her life she always had a a large purse with documents. Mm-hmm. She had not only had her own, uh, you know, ID, uh, she had health documents, she had documents about the children, about bank documents, about... Uh, because in Germany, the first thing that any person stopped was sh- give, show me your documents, who, mm. who you are, wh- what's up with you. Mm. And not having documents was uh, immediately you were being jailed, you're being pulled off the bus, train, what have you, and being shipped to uh, a place where they will try to figure out who you are and what you're doing there. Yeah. um uh, of course, it was heavy-handed and, and brutal because they, they had an issue with anyone who wasn't Christian-German. Aryan. Yeah, Aryan mm-hmm. right.
0: Your dad didn't have to escape in a similar way, or he did?
1: N- uh, no, my father joined a youth movement uh, that came to Palestine... Maybe in thirty four,
0: like oh. earlier, um, but th- this was tough time. I mean, th- these were European Jew- Jewish teenagers or twenty-somethings yeah, yeah. who knew: here is the Nazi, the, 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 the Third Reich is developing, and, and they have to get out. And they're thinking about where to go, and they moved to Palestine together. From
1: well, th- there was a, a, a youth. Movement, a nationalistic youth movement, uh, okay, the, you know, the early Israel was between a nationalistic, religious, traditional, sort of Eastern European way of thinking and a communist or a socialist that was more like Russian yeah. ideology. So my father came with a notion of uh, pra- pride nationalism and and sort of identity rather than uh, creating a new nation uh, they were trying to veer towards uh, a Jewish nation Uh Uh, anyway
0: Uh, it's interesting that that pre officially Israel-Palestine immigration is interesting well
1: they, they had a split early on uh you know, it could fall to pieces already early on. They actually had two opposing parties before there was a country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, the hard the the hardship and the attempt to kick the Brits out of Palestine uh, united them reluctantly.
0: Okay. They
1: said, okay, we'll figure that later. <laughs> let, let's first let's free let the uh, of the of the Brits, and uh-huh. we'll figure out later. So I was born two years after mm-hmm. the British left, in, and and it was like in mid forty eight, nineteen forty eight, mm-hmm. the British left, and and of course it wa- it it immediately ignited the war of independence because the the Arab population rejected or resented the fact that part of Palestine which used to be their own sort of their own territory Mm -hmm. was suddenly awarded
0: to to those immigrants from Europe. Right. You know? A contested a contested area that has been contested you know since the beginning of history in some ways, like going all the way back Jerusalem and Bethlehem.
1: Well, well, the the, uh, the history of trying to dig uh, who started first—it's <laughs> impossible. Yeah, it, it's not. But it's also uh, n- not really contributing to looking forward, right? And in that yeah. regard, I think uh, uh, history can be a, a burden. Yeah. Uh, in emotionally, for many people, it's a burden. When when you get to to my age forgetting is very helpful because it, it terrorizes me to think I would I would remember the details of everything and particularly the bad things that, that happened to me or around me as I was growing up. If I had a very vivid memory of all of that, I wouldn't be able
0: to move. You know? Be paralyzed with all of that. Sure, yeah. is an interesting thing too i mean i have i was talking with my brother about his son is now playing high school basketball and i was saying when you watch him do you ever think about your experience my brother was a very good high school tennis player but he was not a very good high school basketball player he played uh for three years in high school uh, but he was you know average he was not very tall and he was not hyper athletic he was a great tennis player but basketball not great so he said, you know, I didn't, I don't think about it when I'm watching my son. His and I'm thinking his memories of it, you know, maybe weren't great. They weren't like happy. They weren't like momentous as much. You know, it's it's the people who had great moments maybe he does remember high school tennis a little more because those were those moments of you know being able to celebrate yourself, feel feel a great moment of pride or or this or that. And I was thinking, well, I wrote about my experiences with basketball 10 years ago. I wrote about being 29 and out of shape and trying to play basketball again at 29, which is, you know, very young compared to 42, but not so young compared to 20 when you're out of shape. And so I wrote about being 29, playing basketball, trying to get back in shape, loving the sport. And then I also wrote a little bit about when I was younger and what it meant to me to play. So I had dug through those memories in a deeper way, not as a way to try to recapture some past glory, but as a way to understand more deeply what it means to hold a basketball in my hands and and, and sort of reflect on the love I have for, for this game. So memory is a complicated thing that once you start digging, sometimes you find things you don't know are there that are not negative, well, I, I've, I've been uh,
1: taking uh, think, the, the process of thinking and memory uh, seriously as, as, a, as a hobby. So in the last year I listened to about 200 hours of lectures about philosophy and different ideas and, and Western culture and religions and stuff like that. And, and one thing that uh, pops up is that actually memory uh, often recalls bad experiences mm-hmm. and uh, more rarely uh, joyous experiences. And it is because survival depends on being able to avoid repeating bad situations uh, whereas the good stuff, it's like, okay, yeah, it was nice. And, and so when, when you dream or, you, you, or uh, something bad happens, it's almost like a fishing line that uh, starts to tag on many old memories of, of failure or, or disaster or uh, uh, problems um uh much more frequently that oh it was also not so bad it was a good
0: time right survival depends on not repeating the 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 bad the, the bad, bad moment or or just biologically the that part of the Savannah is dangerous don't go over there right yeah no our and, and psychologically it makes a lot of sense to uh retain the dangerous things and the and the the fearful things to it keep sticks to you. right, which is part of actually going back to being Jewish. It's part of being Jewish is that anxiety is built on that fear that is built on history of survival, right? Yeah. The Jews that did survive were terrorized, usually, not always, well, but I in some way or the, another. this nation in some way or collected, another collected for some
1: reason all the <laughs> all the stories. Yeah of how awful it was like if you if you were you know it's like i didn't even try to generate that, but i said you know pogroms and holocaust yeah, right and the uh, spaniards kicked us out yeah. and and yeah. every you know we had enemies and we were always trying to always looking them. over
0: over the shoulder yeah. to see if you're safe so yeah and then, of course, the
1: summary of this is, isn't it great to be Jewish? <laughs> I never understood this sort of, uh, you know, sales speech that's based on historical misery, uh, framing the idea that, oh, you're a proud Jew. You know what? This group of people, for some reason, they're always ready to trouble. What do you want from me?
0: <laughs> I just was born into the... yeah. My mom is I and, and proud Jew is an interesting thing. My mom, um, you know, I think her parents were secular Jews first. They were not religious Jews. They were secular yeah. Jews. They were born in the twenties uh, ten nineteen ten. My grandfather, my mom's Whoa. father, and and my mom's mom nineteen twenty. Both New York City, both you know Depression era in their in their teens. Mm-hmm. Well, he was nineteen yeah, when, yeah. when it started, and he was lucky because he. Uh, he instead to death. He inherited money from his oh. father's death when his father when he was 6 his father had a heart attack and the fishing shack on the Hudson River that his father operated gave him enough inheritance to go to college. Mm. So when he was 20, 19, he went to UVA, University of Virginia and was suddenly in a, you know, Charlottesville, Virginia, in a, you know, lush, wealthy 1930. Right, right. He wasn't in New York City, you know, trying to just get enough dinner. Um, and my grandmother, um, her, her dad had become a lawyer, and she was okay. She was in the Bronx. To be Jewish in, in Arlington, Virginia in the 1940s, and then he's at the Washington Post, and he's in journalism, and she's a teacher, my grandmother. My mom had a Christmas tree and a menorah. She had plenty of... Uh, you know i would say 90% of her friends were wasps military and government you know okay. suburban dc okay. and 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 this is in the 50s which is you know pleasantville and assimilation and here's a washing machine for every you know it just a, it was not a jewish experience it was more like we made it we can relax right right That's uh correct. but my grandmother could not relax oh uh-huh. yeah my and my grandfather um yeah. Maybe because his situation growing up he was very routine based and there was a lot of structure in, in my mom's house growing up. I wouldn't say she was a proud Jew and I wouldn't say she was I, I would say she was just a secular, like be a good person, Old Testament kind of but then she married an Episcopalian, a lapsed Episcopalian young man, my dad. Sorry, I'm not sure. Alexa doesn't even know what to say about that. (laughs) Um, Anyway, they weren't religious in raising us. My parents divorced when I was very young, totally separate houses. But my experience of being Jewish was to be called a Jew by the other children in my second, third grade class um, a few times because I was in a Catholic Oh Irish and Italian immigrant town in Arlington, and so i wasn 't necessarily Jewish in the sense of myself, but then i 'm told I'm, I'm Jewish and I look Jewish to some of these other children so i 'm Jewish by their definition, yeah. not part of the crowd it's a very interesting thing my my identity with 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 religion i i don't have a lot of religious background, but I have a sense of identity.
1: To, to a degree at this point in your life you determine your identity
0: right
1: it's no longer what uh, the circumstances handed you right it is you choose your identity yeah and, and in that way uh, history is a is a reference but it's not really uh, you know, staple to your forehead. It is. It is. You, you have the. Yes. Uh, but, but but you earn it. But it's. Uh, I think that many people uh, are so deeply imprinted with uh, the identity that their community loaded them with that they don't have the freedom to to doubt it. They just act it as a sort of that's who I am.
0: It's it's a given. It's a given.
1: Yeah. And and uh, it, to me it is it is very sad uh, that that uh, people that that so many people uh, don't get to the point where they can look at the given identity and and choose what of it they want to embrace and what
0: they don't. It's, it is sad because by defining yourself you can grow right. and you can question and learn and not just. Kind of sleepwalk.
1: Well, um, I heard a, a very interesting. Uh, I am listening to a guy called Yuval Noah Harari.
0: I've heard of the book. He is. He is yeah.
1: He, he, is, he is an author. He is a published. Harari. Yeah, Yuval Noah Harari. Right. Yuval Harari, and he makes many, many tech talks. And yeah. One of the ideas uh, that. Uh, that he presented in a, in a ever so direct and simple language uh, is the idea of suffering what is suffering so suffering is a mix of memory and imagination in other words people recall said things and they project it to the future and this is suffering and there is a big difference between physical pain which is a neurological thing mm-hmm. and between suffering which is a, a cognitive event and uh, in, in many ways it is significant to separate pain from suffering
0: and physical pain from the complex from, from the agony of
1: projecting oh yeah. it's
0: going to be bad right um, psychological pain
1: psychological pain Pain, or, or, or there is another difference between pain and suffering. Pain is contemporary; you feel it, and then you don't feel it, or you feel more pain, mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. It's, but it is a neurological something happens in your body. It, it is a biochemical event. It is uh, suffering is spreading time. Right. It's like suddenly there is a, a black cloud on the horizon. And suddenly you are afraid or anxious or become stressed, preparing to a calamity approaching. Yeah. And the thing is that usually it's it's speculation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, just to jump back to the idea of happiness... Yeah. um, The focus of suffering is a common hobby, even in the American culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that many people... Uh, uh, again, they are sad and depressed and, and fearful uh, because of emotional, intellectual suffering. Mm-hmm. They say, if this and this happened, it's going to be awful. Mm-hmm. But you know, it can happen differently. Right. We don't know the future. Right. Right. So, so yeah. why,
0: why a priori invent that it's going to be awful and? we and get ahead of ourselves we build problems that don't exist we create an environment in which we will have a negative experience by creating it before it exists right, right. Yeah. It, it, in some
1: cases it's a self-fulfilling prophecy sure. as well sure but there is something that happens right away up front which is the biochemistry of stress is taxing the body in other yes, words yes. you invent a, a, a future calamity and you already your biochemistry
0: starts to tilt. You don't coffee. sleep well. You don't sleep you well. You drink too much coffee the next day, etc. You it, get it, agitated. Well, it, it,
1: it can be much more involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the uh, chronic condition of stress mm-hmm. is like chronic condition of fight or flight. Right. Uh, it's a biochemistry that... Uh, uh, diminishes uh, metabolic rates mm-hmm. uh, it divert resources to the muscles and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes the, the resources that's supposed to go to the to the brain and to other functions are claimed uh, for physical strength for the moment but if you do it for a long time you can be chronically
0: exhausted for sure and you could have an ulcer you could have a heart attack or you could just be physically drained
1: are a result of uh, chronic stress.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, so uh, I wrote uh, a question to uh, to Dr. Sapolsky, a, a great, a great uh, scientist out of uh, Stanford University uh, who talks a lot about stress and managing stress and about uh, biology about genetics about primates and big apes Mm -hmm. so he's a great guy anyway I sent him a question I said if stress can be chronic can happiness be chronic and he said I don't see why not in other words if if you figure out a, a mental discipline to avoid suffering particularly speculative suffering Uh, Like like, what would happen if Trump would become president? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some people get not in their stomach from that, and they start suffering. And the jury is out, let's say. But no, I would say it's not going to happen. Okay, I'm going to say that. Uh, And in fact, uh, optimism and pessimism are wrong in the same to the same magnitude. So might as well be wrong optimistically. Why be always wrong pessimistically?
0: Yeah, I, I, <laughs> sure, sure. The power of positive thinking and the power of staying present rather than going ahead to a negative scenario and worrying, worrying about know, the things that are beyond you. you. Can it. I can I divert the conversation back to you? If you when so. when did you get from Israel to the United States? How old were you? Okie dokie. Okay.
1: Um, and if the sun's in your eye, I can... No, no, it's it's pleasant. Um, uh, I was released from military service uh, about eight months before Yom Kippur War, 1973. Um, the thing that when you're released from service, your paperwork travels from your original unit... To some central processing bureaucratic protocol uh, and uh, and for the time being you don't have an assignment unit, you, you don't, you just you are in waiting but Yom Kippur War happened and my paperwork was n- nowhere I didn't have a unit okay. so I went to the uh, recruitment center with uh, whatever uniform I had with my Kit, you know, it's like really good to go, along with hundreds of of uh, ex-soldiers that came because they want to be sent back to their units. It's not I, I felt an obligation. It's not I I really had no enthusiasm for war, but I knew the people in my unit, and I figured if I can help, I should. Uh, it was a scary some scary days when the egyptian army crossed the suez canal and advanced significantly into the sinai peninsula anyway this war was actually a short war and suddenly i was uh, relieved from that obligation and uh, it was uh, and, and i met a, a guy who Came from New York to try to to join, join the the fight. Uh-huh. So he, he uh, convinced me that it will be a worthwhile experience for me to go to New York. And uh, so uh, maybe at seventy-four, I came to New York. I was uh, ex-soldier. Uh, I
0: was... uh,
1: 23. I was 23. I mean, of course, it's just high school education at best. Yeah. Because I wasn't a good student. Uh, Um. And uh, I was uh, full of myself, and I could do anything. I knew and understood everything. At the same time, I was very naive and and, uh, rather ignorant in many ways. So... So my self-esteem and the reality didn't <laughs> didn't match at all. Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, so here I am in New York, and uh, my friend uh, ho- hosted me in his studio apartment in New York, but uh, it got you know I I needed to find alternatives, uh-huh. uh, and and so I ran there were many Jews and israelis that eventually it's like a network that that uh, existed sort of uh, uh, and 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 so you meet people and all that and I met this uh, very cute uh, woman and uh, oh she, I don't know lady young lady I, I don't know what's the proper. young lady is good it. yeah yeah uh-huh And uh, she uh, completed or she finished her education in Columbia University in Upper Manhattan and she resided in a a Windermere Hotel which was actually dormitories that uh, uh, decked up uh, students for Columbia University but it was after the... Her, her graduation, so she needed to evacuate. So, okay. So she was a nomad. and uh, When I together. was a nomad, we were nomads together. And we, this is the hippie. This is seventy-three. Uh, a seventy-three or seventy-four, like some, yeah, somewhere about that. And uh, so yeah, we we clung to each other and <laughs> we started to <laughs> to uh, figure out where we're gonna sleep the night. You uh-huh. know, it's, it was it was. New York is not like a, a, a very open door sort of culture, uh, but we did. We we travel. We stay a couple of nights. at This friend. You, uh, you were couch surfing. We were couch surfing, and uh, and in sometimes uh, squatting. This was yeah. like you know, like uh, in in a in a vacant building. Yeah, uh, you
0: had no you had no money. I had... Just a little money. Just a little and money, you, and yeah. you were like, am I going to work? Am I going to go to school? What am I going to do? W- well, on tourist
1: visa, even even those options are very, very limited.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, in your mind, you were thinking, I'm going back to Israel in a few months. No. No? No, in my mind, I don't want to go to Israel. Okay, ever. in my mind, I'm going to figure out how to live in the United States. Yes. Okay, yes, yes. and here's this cute yeah. young woman, and now we're uh, going to uh, figure uh, it
1: out. And and I, actually, we met on a bus going to JFK uh, to see somebody off that made aliyah. You know. Oh. A- anyway, it, it, it was it was to me it felt like a, a seriously random set of events. Uh, it's
0: amazing. You pulled it down, and the sun <laughs> dimmed down as well. <laughs> it's, there's, Good there's there's a tiny. It's right behind that cloud right there. He's just kidding me. Um, did you did you get together with her for a long time? Did you settle in I into married t- her. You right? married her. That's your first wife. Yes, that's my first wife. What was her name? Tina. Uh, anyway... Uh, Where did you guys settle down?
1: First, we, f- we actually rented a, a small apartment in Manhattan uh, from a musician who went for the season for rehearsals. He went with his orchestra to some place maybe Florida I'm not sure uh, for a rehearsal season uh, and, and the, the little apartment he had 14 cats there uh, <laughs> and it was smelling rather awful but at least we could go to sleep at night and wake up in the morning and not have to rush out the door as if uh, yeah.
0: you know, like might take an hour to feed them all Oh, um,
1: no! I, I no. The, the smell stayed. The cats didn't. I don't know. May, maybe the cats had, were in a, some sort of uh, uh,
0: a wild pack or
1: something. No, 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 no. He he took care of the cats elsewhere. I don't oh. know. Maybe it was a kennel, kennel for cats. I, I'm I not do- sure. who
0: knows what happened
1: with who those cats? Who knows what happened with those cats? But the house okay. had. Not only the smell, but the hair. Oh yeah, <laughs> the fur was everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and, and he, he was a loner musician. <laughs> I think a, a bassoon player. Bassoon. Yeah, like like really a guy that hums himself in the <laughs> alone in his room. Like oh, kind God. Of guy. <laughs> anyway, so but, but how long were you married? Nineteen years and you were in new york? No. No. Okay, no. From new york after that short uh, lease was out, we drove to boston. Okay. And we lived in Somerville yeah. or at the time was called Slamerville. Okay. Because it, it was uh, a cheap uh, available, but it was walking distance from Har- Harvard Square. Sure. So I
0: grew up near there. I grew up in Arlington, Mass. Okay, okay, but that, that was a nice place. <laughs> no, Somerville was. Uh, Somerville has changed a lot in th- in all that time. I'm, okay. I know it wasn't. I know it. Yeah, Somerville. Okay, um, that's where you were living for a little bit. That we yeah. At that point, we actually told
1: Tina's mom that we are together. Okay. Because of her Jewishness, we she didn't. She was not supposed to know that her daughter. Is in an intimate relationship, mm. so it was like uh, who will pick up the phone? We don't know who. It, <laughs> will. it was it was
0: contentious. It was. A you got introduced to the family. Yes, and, and then you got and,
1: and 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 we felt at that point that we were getting married, mm. uh, but Tina's uh, mom uh, after checking my. Uh, Via economic viability, she was a very pragmatic woman, if if not a nasty one. Uh, she realized that behind the big smile and the can-do attitude, I didn't have any, you
0: know, medical or
1: uh, legal degree. Uh, I di- right, right, medical or legal degree. Mm-hmm. So, and her daughter was supposed to marry uh, a, a Jew with uh, solid finance. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't one of those. So the only thing she could do, she she uh, put on a, a year timeline before we can get married. Mm-hmm. And and of course, it's not that we would elope or do anything like that. There was no rush. We were we were together, and we will figure out how to how to manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, we got uh, married, and uh, to to just. Uh, Fast a forward a bit. Fast forward a little bit.
0: Nineteen. We moved
1: years. back to Israel at maybe seventy-six mm-hmm. or, or so, mm-hmm. and uh, we tried to build up our life in Israel. And then uh, we had our first daughter, and uh, I got some more education in industrial design and I started teaching in uh, art academy in Jerusalem industrial design Mm. uh, uh, different courses but I was uh, outside lecturer for me to become faculty I needed a master's degree and meanwhile we had a medical challenge with our son Mm. and uh, surgeries in Israel uh, didn't succeed in solving that problem... I'm sorry,
0: what was going on? Uh,
1: it was a, a reflux in the urethras.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: it is when the bladder uh, can uh, push the urine back mm-hmm. towards the kidneys uh, through the pipes that called urethras.
0: Mm. Going the and wrong
1: direction. Yeah, the wrong direction. And uh, when it's healthy, there is a check valve sort of thing that the urine can only come from the kidneys into the uh, into the bladder mm-hmm. and cannot flow back. Right. And he, when when we found it at age three, he was three. Uh, his urethras were already wider than necessary because of the back pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so he, he had a couple of. of Surgeries in Israel that re reimplantation of the urethras didn't work, and we were desperate, and he had to take regular medication that was quite disgusting, uh, like a, a like a liquid, a pink liquid that didn't smell good, mm. and she, and, he, and and he resisted it. I mean, of course, uh, why he, he had to take it, so. He, so it was a struggle anyway was he okay? E- yes, yes, Go yes ahead. Ahead. I'll tell you how it was okay. Okay. we <laughs> came uh, in uh, 19, 1990 or n- 1991 we came back to the States I was hoping to get a master's degree and we were hoping to take care of his uh, medical situation and uh, jumping forward uh, a wonderful doctor in Children's Hospital in Oakland uh, succeeded in reimplanting one urethra in, in a way that worked anyway so one kidney is working and one kidney he has only one kidney
0: mm. uh,
1: but, but he is well and the capacity of the kidney is determined by the physiological needs so actually it's a large kidney with twice the capacity of of a regular kidney okay um, it's that's all there is to it mm. For many justified reasons, I couldn't get into a master's program in industrial design, mm. and I started to take handyman projects. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lived in Albany, and and uh, the kids went to Albany elementary school and high school and all.
0: Mm-hmm. And and
1: but uh, when I was picking my kids from a uh, preschool in uh, Albany, I ran into this woman who really, I I was so attracted to her. She was very pretty and very, very, very nice. And and she was happy to see me and we became friends. She was so different uh, in the way that she would roll up her sleeves and do stuff that usually people don't do, like there was a, a project in the backyard of the school, and she used a jackhammer when I, one of the times that I came to help in school work, I saw this beautiful woman working with a jackhammer, <laughs> breaking the, mm-hmm. the the asphalt in the backyard to to put in a pipe for a classroom, mm. uh, and, uh, and the other relationships in both cases had Real problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll repeat this. Tina is a very good person, a very uh, thoughtful and, and serious person. It is just that we both depressed each other. It, it didn't. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. And uh, with uh, this woman, who is my wife now, about thirty years later. <laughs> uh, it it was a whole other dynamic, and uh, eventually we got very close to each other. Eventually we moved together. Eventually, so with all the you know retrospectively one one thing, I cannot really say that it damaged the children mm-hmm. more than it helped them. You know, because. Instead of having depressed people, dysfunctional and all that, it ended up, I became a much happier person mm-hmm. already then, mm-hmm. and much more proactive and more successful in many
0: ways. Mm. How old were the children when you divorced?
1: Uh, by the time we moved together, I think that, uh, oh, okay, okay, we, we have several children, okay? So I guess it was uh, Mickey and Francesca, the little kids of our family, where we met. Our uh, older daughters were already in second grade or something; they were six or seven. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I, you know, some people. It doesn't. At,
0: it doesn't have to be exact age, yeah.
1: I don't count on my memory, and it's fine for me to not. Remember shop details right. like that, and you know some people are much better than that, and and maybe they can correct me all in good time. But
0: the personal biography details yeah. are not so; they don't have to be so exact. Yeah, I just tend, I just tend to ask, thinking about how old they were, and and thinking about you and becoming happier in your new, your second marriage. Yeah, yeah. It, I grew up without knowing my parents at all in the same house and um, my mom never remarried and my dad did remarry when I was six and then got divorced when I was 13 so he had a second marriage from the time I was six to 13 that when we saw him we'd see Patty his second wife Um, my mom never had anyone living with us it was my brother and and me and my mom in in my main house growing up and that you know I didn't know anything else. My brother was five, I was one, when they divorced. But it is the combination of wanting to be there for your child and the combination of needing a healthy dynamic and a positive environment for your child. You can't always have both, I guess. You can't always have both the great relationship and be there every day. uh,
1: looking at it from uh, a greater distance... Uh, To me, the fact that uh, there is so much diversity in in the way people are, in their histories, in the fact that we have separate faces, I mean, distinctly different faces, is is only one expression of endless diversity in uh, in the life experience. Like we live in the same universe in the same time but you live a different life than me mm-hmm. and, and this uh, difference a, and every person have their own challenge that is unique to them first of all I find it amazing I find it amazing that the universe that has regular laws like inertia and gravity and, and the laws of chemistry and all that can produce such diversity it is to me. It's like uh, it, it's astonishing. No one would go in the street and suddenly see a person exactly like them walking in the other direction. It's we know that that we are different, mm-hmm. and so you experience the life that was given to you as so That's how it is, you know. Mm-hmm. You accepted that. I grew up with my hysterical mother that cried every day, and that was how it was, and and I forged a personality of self-sufficiency because she was dysfunctional, and this is who I am, you know, this, it, it was my survival strategy then, and there was no reason to suddenly become very dependent, it was sort of, and, and I stayed there. I, I kept going in the same
0: direction um, through your first marriage. You kept going in that direction of self-sufficiency and help everyone else, and but then oh, it, it took
1: me a long while to admit that my attachment to my wife now that I actually need her. Uh, it's technically I still don't need anyone. I can do everything that I need to do by myself, for, for myself, for all I know, I mean, I never got to a, a very helpless uh, situation uh, and you know, just like to highlight there, I can tell you that uh, as exciting as it might sound I never succeeded in, in being getting intoxicated like smoking or, or, or drinking or doing any drugs or anything like that because as my daughter said, I'm a control freak. I need to stay present and aware of my circumstances, and it is because I'm afraid of helplessness.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, why am I afraid of helplessness? Because my mom was so helpless. I
0: understand. So
1: it is uh, the outcome of my personal history, and and you know. Th- in a way, formal education and, and broad indoctrination is a continuous attack on the idea that you are a unique, one of a kind in, in forever. You are one of a kind person. And for you to explore your experience, you don't need to, to be told who you are and what you believe and, and how to think. But that's how society
0: works.